The 0-2, and it's strike three called. Throws him with a fastball. Julio Urias gets the last seven in a row, and the Los Angeles Dodgers have won the World Series. What a remarkable run they have been on in recent years, and this year they were able to take the last step. Jets converted their first three third downs today. They're two of their last nine. And Darnold is going backwards. Dunlap with his second sack. Ah, the Dodgers drought is over. And feeling the pressure to get pressure on opposing quarterbacks, the Seahawks make a deal ahead of their game with the 49ers. That and more on the 206 Sports Pod. Welcome, everyone. I'm Tom Glasgow, longtime veteran sportscaster. Just a nice way for me to say I'm getting older by the day. Also on board, of course, former Major League pitcher Bill Kruger and a former Washington State and Seahawks wide receiver Michael Bumpus. And we all spend a little bit of time sometimes working together on Root Sports Northwest. Guys, how you doing? Doing good. Great. You know, we've been uh, we had that drought from how many months with no sports and now we feel, you know, <laughs> just overwhelmed. I know what's happening. NBA's done, MLB's done. So we're gonna we're gonna lean heavily on our football guru here, Mr. Bumpus. We'll, we'll get to the fact that he is bleeding profusely, Dodger blue, in the wake of his team's World Series title. And of course, for folks that don't know, uh, one of Bill's stops along the way during his uh, lengthy major league career was with the Dodgers. So we're gonna uh, look forward to the insights on that. But Michael, we got to talk about. The Seahawks coming off that overtime loss at Arizona, now 5-1. and one. No notable pass rush uh, in that loss to the Cardinals. So, John Schneider, Pete Carroll, it's clear. They know this cannot continue. They trade with the Cincinnati Bengals defensive end, Carlos Dunlap, coming this direction, going to Cincinnati, a backup center in the seventh-round draft pick. And on paper, Michael, I mean, this looks like a really sweet deal for the Hawks. We'll see if Dunlap makes it even sweeter. Yeah, on paper, it looks great. You get rid of B.J. Finney, who hasn't done much. He was here to compete with uh, Ethan Posick for that center position. Then you get rid of a seventh-round pick. Something tells me the Hawks are going to do something to get more draft picks. That's just what they do. I don't think they're really concerned about a seventh-round pick. And then you get a veteran, a guy who has been there who's done that. Yeah, he's 31 years old. Yes, he only had one sack so far this year. But it just seemed like the chemistry and the relationships were off in Cincinnati. His down year was four and a half sacks. That was his third year in the league. That would lead this team in sacks last year. Other than that, he's had nine sacks, eight sacks, 10 sacks. And then he can play that Leo spot. That's that DN who can walk down like a linebacker in a two-point stance. He can put his hand in the dirt. He can drop out into the zones. Not only does he bring experience on the football field, he's a leader. He's going to teach some of these young guys how to play. You got Benson Mayoa, who's been in the league seven years, but Hasn't really been a starter. This is the first time he's being a starter. You got Alton Robinson, a rookie. Daryl Taylor, when he gets back. You still got Rasheem Green, who's in his third or fourth year. So he brings a lot of talent, but he also brings some leadership. And I'm on social media. I got to get you guys on social media, but I'm on social media. And Dunlap put out a video saying just how excited he is. And there's something about getting in a new environment that rejuvenates some people. So I'm hoping they get a little bit of that, too. You know, one thing I really like about uh, this type of player and the mentality he has, guys, and, and Bill, you, you've been traded. Um, it's that desire to prove your previous team wrong. And uh, I want you both to talk about that. Uh, now, I don't, I don't think in this case, it doesn't matter that he's not going to face the Cincinnati Bengals this year. I, th I would think he wants to come here 
and make a statement. And I like that. I, I like adding that level of motivation to this team, Bill. Yeah, I think it's I think going to the Seahawks is like a destination. It's like a breath of fresh air. It's just just uh, champ, champs are quality people, champs are quality thinking, uh, an environment where you're allowed to express yourself and be yourself. Um, it, and, and it's worked. And so I think these are really attractive things for players to come to. And, uh, you know, the players, they know. They know where, where teams have a chance. And, and uh, uh, the Seahawks team has got – loads of opportunity to to get to the playoffs and deep in the playoffs it would it would seem to me and uh you know it's just a, a perfect storm you got great leadership and and you got a, a coach in uh, pete carroll that uh he wants you to express yourself and he he wants to find where you where you're at where you're at your best as opposed to trying to figure out what it is that you can't do and michael i think that's a terrific point by bill not only and feel free to disagree with with my take on that that you know prove the bengals wrong but going <laughs> but going from a non contender to a contender i mean that is invigorating especially when you're 31 years of age and you know you're closer to the end of your career than you are to the beginning yeah you got something to play for at in cincinnati he was playing for a check which is nice i'm sure his checks are look a lot better than you and i but uh but um, now he's he's actually playing for a division. He's playing for a conference. He's playing for a shot at the Super Bowl. He has a quarterback who's been there, who's done that. Joe Burrow is doing a great job as a rookie in Cincinnati, but there's no way he would he looks at that kid and says he's ready to win right now. When you look at the uh, Seattle Seahawks, you feel they're ready to win, but they're missing something on defense. And to come over and feel like you're that missing piece on defense has to boost your ego. We all know as athletes, we do have egos. You got to be cocky out there. There's there's something that goes along with performing. So um, I think he's going to be in a good place. He's healthy and he's eager and he is under the perception. He is the missing link. So I feel like his performance is going to go up. Michael, should we look at him as a direct replacement for Jadavion Clowney? And I went and looked when this trade went down. I thought, well, let's, let's what's Jadavion been doing with, with Tennessee this year? Six games, no sacks. Nothing. No I mean, sacks. That's not what he does. I, people, I know, but fall in love with no the size, but yeah, it's, no um, and, he's I, and I'm hurt. not dogging on him. I know. Okay. I'm not, I, I, I look, he did a, I thought he did a terrific job here last yeah. year. I just don't know that he's worth the price you would have had to pay to keep him here. Yeah. I probably not, you know, in, because you have to look at stats stats kind of justify what you're doing, why you're paying a dude. And you look at Jadavian's stats, you're like, why does he want $17, $20 million? You have to really be a football fanatic and watch the film intensely to kind of understand to the, you know, to the average fan, it it doesn't make sense to them. And honestly, I like the move of not bringing him in because it gave you opportunities to go out and search for guys, to search for Jamal Adams, to search for, um, Carlos Dunlap. So it worked out in the end and, you know, wish him the best of luck, but yeah. we're moving on. <laughs> um, and look, uh, I don't think anybody will forget what was one of, one of the best single game defensive performances in Seahawks history was how he single-handedly dismantled the 49ers last year. And that, that does speak to his talent. Okay. So Jamal Adams, we're hearing maybe back for the home game this week against the 49ers, obviously a critical game. You don't want to have back-to-back losses. Um, regardless, Michael, if it's this week or the following week or the week after, tell me how the Seahawks defense may look different with Dunlap and a healthy Jamal Adams, who we know can put pressure on the opposing quarterback. 
But with Dunlap, they're hoping that they're able to get pressure on the quarterback without having to blitz, without having to take a guy off of that secondary or the linebacker level and put pressure on the quarterback. With Jamal Adams, now it allows you to do that more efficiently. Ryan Neal did a great job filling in. They they blitzed him. It just doesn't look the same. It just doesn't feel the same. He doesn't have that explosiveness that, that Jamal Adams has. So it allows them to kind of play with their looks. You know, are we blitzing now? You can line up Jamal next to Carlos and make that tackle or that tight end have to communicate and think about what they're going to do. Play the type of games that the Arizona Cardinals played with the Seattle Seahawks. They confused the heck out of Russell Wilson towards the end of that game. So hopefully they're able to do things like that. But being able to get pressure on the quarterback without blitzing is crucial because I feel that one of the strengths of this team is that secondary. If you allow them to lock in on receivers and make plays, they're going to cause turnovers. So I'm going to try to blend what the Seahawks are doing offensively and what Bill Kruger used to do on the mound as a starting pitcher in Major League Baseball. So, Bill, let's say you're <laughs> right. okay. let's see, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna go for I'm gonna reach on this. But Bill, let's say you're five innings into a game. Okay. And everything's clicking, man. Mm-hmm. It's going great. But the sixth inning, you you struggle and the pitch count is up and you give up a couple runs. So my question is, do you change your approach or do you stick with what got you through those first five innings? Michael, the link is this. The Seahawks have had tremendous offensive success letting Russ cook. My question is, do they need to have the chef back off a little bit, establish more of a running game, gain a little more time of possession? Maybe it costs you a few points, but you're keeping an exposed defense off the field a little bit more. So there was my attempt to connect the two Bill, why don't you answer your question first, and then, Michael, you take it away. Yeah. Well, I, I think uh, to try to maybe draw a better parallel, um, it's Look sort at that. Of he like already the, didn't like my parallel. He just flushed my parallel. Are able, like able to <laughs> flush <laughs> no, my parallel. Go ahead. I think there's always an adjustment. You're, you're always going to stick to your plan, but you're going to make adjustments. So, uh, But I think the, 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 the analogy is the ground game is sort of like the pitcher that understands that I don't have to, I don't have to strike everybody out. I can get early contact. I can get my, my, my guys behind me playing. I can move the game along. I'll have more ammo and be able to stay in the game deeper because I've induced uh, um, soft contact and, and, and uh, move the game further along, which is antithesis of what everybody wants starting pitchers to do, but that's a whole nother topic. So I think there's something to be said about that. Uh, and there's sort of this balance. I'm sure uh, Michael, you would understand that balance is important. You can't really be all one on one side of the, of the offensive game or the other. Uh, you certainly have to realize that you don't, uh, um, you can't live and breathe by the run. You got too talented a quarterback and too too many good wide receivers. There's just got to be some healthy mix, I would think. So um, that would be my thought. That and and I'm a big believer in that. I think that uh, pitchers should engage their defense and shouldn't be afraid of contact, and they don't have to strike everybody out. So, uh, what do you think, Michael? What do you think about uh, that balance? Yeah, I think balance is important. And when Russ, Russell threw the ball 50 times last game. And I don't think we're going to see a lot of that, but they also rushed the ball 30 times. And that's kind of where you want to be when it comes to rush attempts. You want to be around 25 to 30 yet. Six of those rushing attempts were Russell Wilson scrambles for six yards and he was the leading rusher. So it wasn't design rushing. What it, what balance does it, it keeps the defense guessing, but also look at this football team. Chris Carson is out. Travis Homer was out towards the end of that game. 
Carlos Hyde was out towards the end of that game. You got a rookie in DJ Dallas. DJ, I think he's full of potential. He can be great, but I'd rather have Russell Wilson lead the charge rather than a rookie. I think they run the ball early. They should run the ball earlier. That first series against the Arizona Cardinals, five plays, five passes, touchdown. It worked for them. But now this defense is just prepared for the pass. I just sprinkle in a run. Every, every fifth pass is sprinkling one run just to keep these guys honest. You know, it's kind of like when you're on the mound, you're pitching. You throw, you throw fastballs all day. You got to change it up every now, off-speed pitch every now and then just to keep the batter guessing. So I think you have to sprinkle it in. Balance is nice. But when you have a Russell Wilson DK locket, I can understand why they would be so pass happy. All right. So, you, so you you disregard my theory. I, I or, or is or is there something? Is there anything to it that even if you maybe it's just one possession, if you if you can deny the opposing offense one possession, and and it's a great point on the injuries they they suffered last week. But this is more of a big picture yeah. um, view. Is there any truth to what I was trying to sell to you, Michael? Yeah, there, there's there's some truth there. Yes, that's the logical way. You're a logical guy. You know, that's the logical way to think no. about things. But we're, sometimes coaches ain't logical. They're like, you know what? We're tossing it up. <laughs> Let's go. I, I'm fine. Look, I, I you know, I, I grew up. Uh, I, I love Joe Namath and all those old AFC quarterbacks. You know, Daryl LaMonica, the Mad Bomber, the Lenny Dawson. These guys, you know, at least in my mind, the AFC was better than the NFC because they threw the ball and they threw a deep ball. So I love that. And I love what Russell's doing, um, but they just have all those, uh, you know, issues on defense. They're trying to get worked out. Maybe Dunlap and a healthy Jamal Adams will, will solve a lot of that. All right, guys, it's, uh, it's that special time. It's time for our Stars of the Week presented by Ecliptic Brewing. Pour some space in your face, ecliptichbrewing.com. I swear by it. It's really, it's getting me through the pandemic. Without that, I, I really don't know what would. Well, you guys, I enjoy our, our weekly get together. So uh, Bill, let's go, let's go with you and your star of the week. Well, I'm going to go baseball, shocker. And uh, we just got through, you know, a, a great World Series, a very competitive World Series. Uh, the best team won, the, the Los Angeles Dodgers, no question about that. And they broke a big drought. And it's easy for me to go and say, Corey Seager. Um, what a great, great series. I mean, a shortstop made all the plays at 400, hit the ball at the ballpark, you know, hit the right time. Or I could pick Mookie Betts, who was uh, all around uh, talent, uh, hitting the clutch, great defense, daring base running, smart base running, kind of the leader of the team, the missing link maybe for the Dodgers. But I'm going to go anti-hero, of course. I'm going to go Kevin Cash. He's my hero of the week. <laughs> He's got to be everybody's hero in L.A. Right, Michael? Yeah. you got to be like thinking of ways to, you know, uh, uh, you know, flower praise on Kevin Cash. Because yes. uh, I'll tell you what, talk about uh, reducing yourself to the shop foreman. You're basically telling people when it's time to go uh, take a water break or take lunch because uh, you're a tool. Anybody that watched that game knew, knew. It's sort of like in Hoosiers. Remember in Hoosiers, we got to the end of the game and Coach Dale had them all in a circle and they were down to the last shot against powerful uh, – a uh, team from Indianapolis that they played. I don't remember the name of the, the, the opponent that Hickory played, but uh, they're all, and he, he calls a play for another player and they all put their heads down. Yep. And they went to, you know, the key guy and uh, he held the ball and made the last shot. The players know, you know, we're trying to make baseball into chess. Football's chess with really, really amazing players. Okay. That's football. Baseball is checkers. It is instincts. It is long standing things that have made players great. 
You're taking that away from them. You're taking the best player that was on the field that night and take him out of the game. They lost the game there. And it would have been very interesting because with Turner, Turner's COVID, uh, he doesn't play. Uh, there's a delay in the series. Who knows what happens? It's probably one of the maybe very final chances for a, for a David to beat a Goliath, for yeah. a, 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 a Hoosiers moment to happen in Major League Baseball because there's so, no spending cap really. Um, so uh, it's Kevin Cash. All right. Well, we're going to, and Sorry, we'll dig bud. into that a little bit more in the World You're Series. But uh, yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> that was something. All right, Michael, who's your star of the week? Well, Bill touched on him. I got to go Mookie. M -m -m Mookie Betts comes over from Boston and delivers in his first year. And granted, it was an abbreviated season, 60 games, but he did it all. Came up clutch uh, late in the game, got, scored a run. Defensively, he was awesome. A leader out there, brought a, a, uh, a confidence to this team. The Dodgers have always been constant, the past confident the past five, six years, yes, but Mookie just brought something else, something special. He was worth what was it, four hundred something million bucks that he got. When you when you're able to contribute the very first year and get a steal, Boston, you're ridiculous for letting Mookie go and not giving him what he deserved. Um, I gotta go with Mookie Betts. It was fun to watch, and he's a he's a smaller guy, and my kids are gonna be about five nine, five ten. And I didn't have to say anything. They're looking at Mookie like, Dad, he's he's gonna be like us. I can be like him. And he inspired my kids. And my my kids aren't aren't big baseball fans, but they watch it. And he sparked something in them that I wasn't even able to do. So I, I thank him for that as well. But just being able to perform in the clutch, bring that attitude and swagger to this baseball team and deliver your first year going with Mookie. Uh, look, I think I think it's a great call. Uh, you know, when guys get these mega deals. The pressure is on. The spotlight is on. And they don't always deliver. That's a ton of pressure. He delivered. And so I, I think he deserves a lot of credit. All right. I'm going a little more of a, a serious route. And this is something that caught my eye today from um, TSN Hockey on, on Twitter. And I saw this story and I just was like, um, I, I appreciate what the Arizona Coyotes of the National Hockey League have done. They renounced the rights to uh, their fourth round draft pick in the most uh, recent draft, a, a young man by the name of Mitchell Miller. The news comes after the Arizona Republic newspaper revealed that Miller and another teen were charged after bullying a black classmate with developmental disabilities in 2016. Okay, that was four years ago, but the fact that this kind of uh, nonsense will not be tolerated now, Mitchell Miller may feel like it's completely unfair, but I'm thinking about people who are now 16, who are maybe talented hockey players or pick a sport or a teenager who's not involved in a sport and sees this as hopefully a teachable moment, hopefully a teachable moment. So Arizona Coyotes, uh, my star of the week, star of the week brought to you by Ecliptic Brewing. It is out of this world, Barry. Clipticbrewing.com. All right, let's get back to the baseball. Mr. Bumpus, lifelong Dodger fan, as I mentioned, bleeding yes. Dodger blue. You had to wait since 88. How old were you in 88, Michael Bumpus? 88. I was three in 88. So this is the I, first I've been one you've my whole life. I don't yes. remember that. <laughs> yes. 
What's it? What's it feel like as a Dodger fan to finally have that title? Uh, it it feels good, man. I, I got teary eyed a little bit because there there have been years where, especially recently, where we've been close, and then a lot of years where we were nowhere near it. And I thought about my grandmother because my grandmother was the first person who gave me a newspaper. I believe it was the the C section in the L.A. Times. She used to make me read it every morning before school. And um, she's just a huge Dodger fan. And my my grandfather passed away this year, so he didn't get to, get to see um, the Dodgers win. So it was pretty emotional for me, man. I called my grandma, mm -hmm. and she picked up the phone just screaming and hollering. She's going crazy. She's like 75 years old and and just brought a bunch of energy. And I'm calling my my friends back home. It was just surreal. you know. And then for us, for L.A. to get two championships in 17 days. I mean, that's – and the last time spoiled, the, the Lakers – Spoiled, You're Spoiled. Spoiled. And the last time the Lakers and the Dodgers won were in 88. It's crazy wow. how this things happen. So it's um it's been fun, man. I, we've been waiting a long time for this. So I'm I'm pretty proud. My mom's going to downtown L.A. tomorrow. I told her you pick me up as much Dodger gear as you can. Nice. Uh, look, um, you you work on the Seahawks broadcasts, but for folks that don't know, you grew up in Southern California. Yeah. Who who was your NFL team growing up? Woo, man. Be honest now. They're going to hate me, but That's I was a bad. Niner fan growing up. I was a Niner fan because wow, the Raiders okay. left when I was little. So we were like, man, forget the Raiders. So we yeah. went to their, you know, across the Bay. And that's when yeah. Jerry Rice and Joe Montana. I mean, they, they had so many. But what are you going to uh, do? I've, I've been up what here so long. Do? It's, you know, I'm, right. I'm a 12 at this point. <laughs> Who are you picking this weekend, Michael? <laughs> oh, yeah. I got to go to 12. It makes my job easier. I talk that's to Pete right. every Monday. <laughs> that's right. Hey, uh, Bill, you broke it down on cash. I thought, I think really well, that that's, that's going to be, that seems to be like the yeah. uh, most lopsided uh, debate in terms of a pitching change in, in world series history. I, I think the Dodgers deserve a ton of credit for the way they responded to the adversity of the game four loss. You know, the, the, the game that was lost on a little league play, uh, but they come right back and get the next two games. What's that tell you about this baseball team? They're, they're, they're really good. Um, they have all the equipment to win. It was just a matter of doing it and uh, having the moment. You, know, you got a Clayton Kershaw that got over the hump and uh, and had two really, really excellent performances that uh, hopefully pushed some of those skeletons back in the closet. And uh, as much maligned as Dave Roberts has been, uh, he he did the right thing. Uh, he, went with, he went with the best pitchers, Michael. He went with the starters. That's how you win. You pitch starting pitchers. Most of those guys that pitch for him, Urias finished the game twice. He's a starting pitcher. He's not a reliever. You know, Gonzalez, I think, is a starting pitcher. Very talented. Um, so, I mean, I think, I think he did uh, – I mean, I, he's still trapped in the, the too-many-pitchers game. But, uh, but you look at that lineup. They have power, but they also have a lot of less strikeouts. They don't strike out much. They put the ball in play. They play excellent defense. And they have some personalities on that team. They have some guys like Turner and, and uh, Bellinger and, and Betts. They got some guys with some swag. Um, that really, really came to play. So uh, good for them. Congratulations. I mean, I'm an ex-Dodger. I don't live and breathe, bleed Dodger blue, so to speak. But I'm proud to be a, be a Dodger and have been, you know, I was on the 88 team. Uh, so uh, I think it's a meaningful moment for the Dodgers. They've had to work hard to get here. All right. So we, we have this, this great World Series moment for Dodgers fans, for the city of Los Angeles, for baseball, and then post-game. Justin Turner, Dodgers third baseman, um, a guy a lot of people admire, and, and for a lot of good reasons, pulled from the game, COVID positive, 
Major League Baseball has protocols in place. They take him to a, an area and tell him, man, you got to stay here. You're, you're positive. He returns to the field. They asked him to leave. He refused to do it. I think this is selfish, reckless, a really bad look for baseball, which had done such a good job um, dealing with the virus after that early season Marlins outbreak. I get it, guys. I get I get, and you would get it better than me, the desire to celebrate a championship with your teammate, teammates. But you know what I get? I get the nurse I saw on television last week who was pregnant, diabetic, and works in the COVID wing and was crying because of the physical and emotional exhaustion. I get that. I get that sacrifice much more than Justin Turner's sacrifice. If it were just the players on the field, just the players, that's one thing. But it wasn't just the players on the field. There were all kinds of people on that field. And not only does he go out on the field, he goes out on the field for a good portion of that time without a mask on. So I'll end my rant there. I'll hand it off to you guys. Michael, go ahead. Yeah, I... (laughs) I've never won a World Series. I've never won the NCAA championship. The most, the biggest thing I've ever won was a league championship in high school. (laughs) I've never had that emotion come over me like that. And I understand in the moment, you're not thinking about all the things that you just mentioned. He's thinking about, I've earned this. I want to be here with my teammates. And I feel like his teammates encouraged him as well. Now, in hindsight, going back, I would say, if I'm Justin Turner, I'm in the dugout. I'm seeing it. I'm, I'm, I'm aware. And if anyone wants to come over to me and celebrate and take that risk, then they can come over to me and take that risk. But when you have wives and kids and admin and owners, and there's so many different people, the players, I'm sure, didn't mind him being on the field at all. But it's not just them on that field. So I would I would have stayed in the dugout at least see it and feel it and try to be a part of it from a distance or wait in the locker room because eventually the party's coming to the locker room. They're going to pop champagne. They're going to drink their drinks, smoke cigars, do all of that stuff. Um, That's the way I would have done it. And I want to say that if he weren't encouraged by his teammates to go out there, he probably wasn't going to go out there. He tweeted, I'm sorry, I can't be out there with you guys. Love you. All this good stuff. But I want to say there were other influences that made him think it was okay to do that. And then you think about these are young men. They, they, they feel invincible. They don't think they can get this, that COVID is going to affect them, but they're thinking about themselves, not the people around them. Uh, Bill, before we hand it over to you for, for your thoughts on this, one of the other things that struck me, um, Michael, you know, you're, you're a Lakers fan. I love magic Johnson. Magic Johnson is one of my favorite athletes of all time. Of course he has a, he has an ownership stake in the Dodgers. He's there. He's there without his mask on. I mean, I I think that was a huge mistake, but then you have just, I mean, did Justin Turner and magic who is, he's an HIV positive person. How would COVID potentially, I don't know. I'm just saying there are these unknowns that you have to try to think about. So I'm not, I'm not, they may have never come in contact, but you think about spreading you know, from one person to another, to Magic Johnson, who we love, who should have had his mask on. And anyway, Bill, go ahead. I would say it's, it's certainly ignorance. And uh, I, I'm sure there was, there was things that tugged him onto the field. I'm not going to, you know, lay into him too hard, but, but I think uh, it sort of speaks to uh, 
you kind of you kind of get a look inside of Justin Turner a little bit, don't you? Because I think there's a certain amount of uh, behavior that he needs to sort of reflect upon. Because when you're being treated as he's being treated, um, you kind of had to think that he made a mistake or two along the way. That's my feeling. Um, I, I think that, and, and that reflects in how he, he was so cavalier about it. He was cavalier about it because he'd been cavalier about it. And it also shows zero empathy. So I, I, I don't, I, I got, I don't have a lot of respect there. Uh, I think he's a great player, but you know, he needs to do some reflecting upon his behavior and, and maybe think about how, uh, how, how he should think about some of the things that you, you discussed there, Tom, about what, what the world's uh, challenged with and how much bigger that is. Yeah. Look, it was, it was crappy. Uh, it was crappy to get that close to getting out on a field and celebrating a title. I don't, I don't dispute that at all, but, but sacrificing that is nothing compared to sacrifices people are making in the real world. Miles long lines of people in food lines, people trying to find a job. I mean, so while I have sympathy for his situation, Michael, I think you hit it right on the nose, right there. Wait in the dugout, go to the locker room, celebrate there. You're all, you've already exposed you know, you've all been together during the game. And so you're right. That's what it sh should have been done. Now, while he got caught up in the moment, here's the problem, the bigger part of the problem. MLB officials were telling him, no, mm -hmm. no, you can't do this. And he basically, by all accounts, told him to take a hike. So so even, even with the emotion taking over, yeah. there were people there saying, hey, you can't, and he did, and that was wrong. And I'll leave it at that. Baseball is investigating. I think you're looking at a very long suspension for him next season. Very long. And it'll be interesting to see how the Players Association comes down on it. Because those guys all needed each other, those players, um, before they went into this postseason bubble to mind their P's and Q's, to keep their teammates healthy, to keep the season going. And like I said, Baseball did a terrific job after that initial outbreak with the Marlins for that to be the last moment, if you will, the last story of the season. It's really unfortunate. So fellas, it's always fun. Debbie Downer here to wrap it up with you. There you go. You just spitting facts, man. That's real life. No, trying, it's not Debbie trying, That's real know. life. Michael Bumpus, Bill Kruger. Good to have you all with Absolutely. us on the two Oh six sports pod we talk all things seattle sports and beyond as you just heard guys thanks so much we'll do it again next week thanks see you soon you don't have to go home but you can't stay here